Hello everyone and welcome to Burned Ambition Layer Cake. I want to tell y'all that I am not crying. <laughs> I've got a problem with my eye and some swelling in my nose from having my jewelry changed. It's nice, right? But it was all like a disaster. I, I didn't try to do it myself, but I did go to the wrong place. So instead of waiting for my guy and then I had to go to my guy who's actually a girl today to get it fixed, but look how pretty. This is by Inksomnia Tattoo in Alpharetta and they always take care of me. So I wanted to say thank you to them. But as to layer cake, I am excited this week because this week's episode is Am I Dreaming? I have never spoken about any of the dreams, except one that I had during the coma. And I kind of want to delve into that a little and a little bit about what it's like, what your loved one is experiencing if they are um, in this situation or what you may be experiencing, um, even if you're awake. In the There's a thing called ICU psychosis that can cause some very unusual dreams that are very real to you, but they are not real. So I hope I can deal with this. I don't, it, I just know it's not painful and it just started right before the show. So that's just the devil trying to get in my way and it's not going to work. So again, thank you for watching. If um, you're on YouTube, please subscribe so we can reach more people. I'm going to do this episode with my glasses on so you don't have to look at my terrible eye. <laughs> at least I think I am. Got on my nose. So I hope you're all doing well today. Last week we left off with um, being in the ambulance and the last thing that I heard being push fentanyl. And, you know, then everything just went black for me. And from there, things got scary for me, you know, as that paramedic said, push fentanyl, you know, I just felt a warm, like a warm rush of darkness come over me. And it was like for that moment, I'm not sure I even existed. I think my soul had to decide, you know, should I stay or should I go? It was that bad and I didn't know it. You know, does she live or does she die? And, you know, I, I, I slept for two months afterwards, but I did awaken once. And that was while I was at the first hospital they took me to. It wasn't equipped to handle, um, to handle, uh, my level of trauma, please pardon me, y'all. My, my nose is such that if it runs, I can't feel it. But at any rate, they were getting me prepped to go down to Grady Memorial Hospital. And so they were doing all the things they need to do to intubate me. And if you don't know, intubating is when they um, put the tube down your throat so they can control your airway. And, you know, I think that's the most important part is my understanding. That's the most important part when you're in a trauma is being able to control your breathing. So if you stop breathing, they can start it again. So as you can imagine, it's a big, big um, process. So 
you know, I guess it's not the easiest thing to do because, you know, I awakened while I was on the table, just briefly. But I had the presence of mind to know that the light I was seeing was just the light above the ER table, if that makes sense. You know, people say, I saw the light. I, I somehow remembered this, that I knew that, and you know, that the doctors of course noticed that I stirred and they just gave me more medicine and put me right back out again. But as I was going back out, I remember thinking, you know, do not go to the light, stay away from the light, you know, <laughs> do not do that. You know, it wasn't a miraculous moment for me and, and there were some later, but that was truly having the presence to know where I was, but everything beyond that, I think is where things get so kind of gray, you know, I mean, so stay, stay away from the light girl, you know, and when I think about these little things that were just so, they were fleeting in my mind, but I still remember them all these years later as if, as if it just happened yesterday, I'm kind of astounded by the power of our mind. And I think that's why I talk a lot about mindset matters and and um, believe in yourself and all the things that I say, because even in that brief moment amidst all the chaos, I can remember that, um, you know, I said, I told myself to stay away from the light. I gave myself a direction basically to stay alive. So mindset matters. And um, so I, I've never talked about the nightmares, but they began immediately. And they were, I'm so sorry, one of the most horrifying things I've ever lived through. Um, thank y'all for saying it's okay. Can y'all hear me? Can y'all hear me okay? Let's see. Let's see. Did you click that little button for volume? Yeah, you should be able to hear me. Yes, okay, good. Okay. Um, I, I assume that my nightmares began after I made it down to Grady. Thanks, Cousin Ozzy. I, I assume that they started after I got down to Grady. And I made it through my first surgical intervention that very night. And I was put in my room. And I believe that, I believe it was that night because the dream was about me, my husband and my daughter, and they were there. My son hadn't gotten there yet. And um, my dream, I, I believe I could hear them talking actually so be aware of that if you have people in a coma or yourself i believe they could hear me talking and my husband told me that when they were talking to me after i got into the room that a single tear ran down my face even though i was already paralyzed and under fentanyl and all these things that shouldn't allow me to cry or do anything a single tear did run down. So my soul is in my body, even in the medically induced coma. But the first dream, um, I had just gotten 
in this dream, I had just gotten a new job. And with it came like a big old truck, which is weird because I'm a real Cadillac kind of girl. But I have this big old truck and I'm doing work to help young women in this dream. And, you know, I was talking to Rochelle and then all of a sudden Donald walks into the room and I realize I'm in a glass house in this dream. All the walls are made of glass. And you can see all the way through. I mean, you want to talk about a metaphor, right? The first dream I have here in a glass house, you can see everything outside and everyone can see me. And then suddenly there was just a big boom and the truck was gone, it disappeared. And Donald and Shelly disappeared. And it was just me sitting there in this room with the glass walls. And that was the whole dream. And I didn't know what it meant, but I did feel that something was wrong. Just now I'm laying there in a coma. I knew I was burned, but once the fentanyl hit and once they put me in the coma, I did not know I was hurt. I no longer remember being on the table, being innovated. I no longer remember being on fire. I no longer remember being in the ambulance, afraid. All those things were taken away from me. Not taken away from me, removed from me, lifted from me. And they, all those memories were gone. All that I wanted to know was where was my family? Because I didn't know I was dreaming. I thought that something was very, very wrong, but I didn't know I was dreaming. I didn't know my body was in a coma. So I went to my house in my, is it a dream or is it in my mind? Is it my soul? I don't know. I went to my house and I was just really confused because while I was at my house, it didn't look exactly right. The layout was different. Um, there were people there that I didn't know. And, I, you know, I checked the address. This is my house. Yes, where's my family? No, I can't find my family still. And it started getting dark and I needed a place to go. And as I'm walking, I am transforming into, now I'm a paralegal from 10 years ago. And I know that someone is trying to hurt me. So I did not realize until many months later, um, because my husband kept a diary while I was in the coma, that the, you know, the nurses would come in at the same time every day and scrape me, or it's called debridement, where they remove the, the necrotic skin. And apparently my chest was the most painful part because... I could feel it in this coma. You know, in my dream, I would walk down this dark flight of stairs. And when I got to the bottom, I would just crouch down, you know, like a tornado, like you're taught when you're a kid as for a tornado. And I would crouch down and cover my head and I would stay there until it stopped hurting. And that's with morphine, that's with fentanyl, that's with um, 
rocks something, the paralytic. So just imagine, you know, after I awakened, I um, heard people screaming in the hospital. And I immediately knew that that's what was happening to them, except they weren't in the coma. That, and that's sort of part of the ugly truth of burn survival is that I was third and fourth degree burn, so I was in a coma. And I was actually fortunate to be in a coma because when you're not, you must somehow withstand this pain that is a pain that I cannot explain to you. Even in the coma, I know the pain. It is a pain that I've had natural childbirth. I'm the one who's always like, oh, I have a high pain tolerance. It is a pain that I could not stand in a coma. And, and I heard people screaming and screaming and screaming, please stop, please stop. That might make me cry. <laughs> please stop. And, and they can't stop because they have to, they have to help you. They have to save you. But all mine happened while I was in the coma. And I was able to use that dark staircase in my mind and that little room. And uh, um, I was able to do that and protect myself somehow. But, you know, this dream came every day for the next two months or however long they were scraping me and you know a year later was when i fully understood it reading my husband's diary my husband said that he kept a diary for me because the thing that he missed most pardon me the thing that he missed most was not being able to talk to me that's amazing I am I, I have uh, notes I'll admit to y'all I have notes to remind myself because my, my memory is so bad so I'm doing that but I'm also thinking about the fact that my husband who you know for forever is like you know you're talking a lot honey the thing he missed the most was talking to me every day. And it made me think that we really need to be careful with the things that we wish for. And we really need to be mindful and intentional about the things that we are grateful for. Because he was very, very grateful to hear me talk again when I woke up. Um, he was very grateful to, to hear me talk again. Can you believe that? Who says that about their husband? And I'm just going to stop with the, I'm going to leave my notes because those are just some of the dreams and nightmares that I wanted to remind myself of that I had for a couple of months. And really, I just had nightmares for the whole time and there's so many of them that we couldn't talk about them all and we're not going to but i think that my family's presence in the room created different dreams so again please be very aware that if you're in the room with someone in the coma they are hearing it all because 
you know, I, I, I was there. I, I was hearing it. I know I was because of my dreams. <laughs> Thank you, Daruda. Sorry. <laughs> but I never, you know, throughout it all, I never understood that I was laying in the hospital dead fighting for my life. I never remembered anything. I could not figure out why I was there. You know, I, I, I couldn't because me was not my body. Me was my soul, my mind, my dreams. And uh, I'm just gonna let y'all see my eye. <laughs> you know, me was that. And, and you know, last week I mentioned that I had said when I was at the top of the glacier in the Italian Alps that I had said, oh, I can die now. And I felt really bad about that statement. I'll never say it again. But when I was in my coma, I would often dream of Bruel, Cervinia, Italy, because, um, you know, at the top of that glacier, where the French and the Swiss and the Italian Alps met, you know, it was, for me, the reason that I said, oh, I can die now, is because that was, you know, we were above the clouds in these Alps. And for me, I knew that was my heaven on earth. And that's where my soul kept going in my mind. As I lay in that coma, when I wasn't having the nightmares about my skin being scraped, when I wasn't having anything, you know, pain, I visited heaven often. That's what I consider those dreams about that place in Italy. I, I truly believe that that dream and that memory uh, kept me motivated because my, you know, in my other dreams, I, I was running behind people that looked like my husband. And, you know, you tap them on the shoulder and it's not your husband. And, you know, hearing my kids' voices. But this was my heaven. This memory of a month before I was burned was my heaven. It's where I wanted to go. This is where I wanted to be. It was the most amazing place I'd ever seen. My only problem was I couldn't find my family. And, you know, during this time in the real world, I was having one skin graft surgery per week. And um, the daily debridement, the daily scraping. And I'm told that most of the surgery went well, but my face did not. And I know you all know that I've talked about my entire face being replaced with skin grafts. And it was, but did you know it was replaced twice? <laughs> because um, the first time I had a virus that prevented the skin from 
taking. I don't know what a skin graft does, but it didn't take. I have a virus. Um, so the, honestly, just the, if you have a cold sore, the herpes virus almost killed me. My, my face couldn't stay. Um, the only thing that's left of my face is my bottom lip. But they grafted both of my arms, my neck, my chest, my other back. And I did an Instagram recently just to show you all all my grafts. And then everything on my lower body is a donor site. And um, it affected my whole body. It affected my whole self-confidence. There's not any part of me that's untouched by it. And I don't think it would matter anyway because my soul is so touched by it. And, you know, but they did everything they could and these were life-saving surgeries. And somehow I came out okay. These were not the, they were just keeping me together, not trying to keep me looking any certain kind of way. So when I woke up, I was devastated to feel my face. It had been so bad that Donald said, my Donald and my husband said that the second time they grafted my face, they wrapped my whole head up. And his words were, it looked like a basketball when I woke in and I sucked in my breath. It was, it was terrifying to him. And he kept the children from coming to the hospital for a few days. He did not want them to see it. I think that he thought that was it for me, that it wasn't survivable. But they suppressed the virus and that second set of graphs stayed. But God, right? I don't know how. And not only did they stay, but they don't look too bad because I have I've not had plastic surgery. I've had my eyes corrected and I've had my mouth closed, but I've had only reconstructive surgery. I haven't had any plastic surgery yet. Um, you know, I, I laid there and I was breathing through a trach in my throat. That's where I wear a lot of necklaces because I have a spot right here where my tracheostomy was and um, breathing on a ventilator and just being kept alive for two months. So, you know, I hear some survivors say that they're aware of conversations that are going on around them. When they're in the coma, I wasn't. Um, I just wasn't one of those people. Uh, and looking, looking back at the diary and comparing it to the dreams, that still haunts me and my PTSD to this day. Because I, I know that I was hearing what was going on around me. And I also know that I was truly living another life. Whether it was dreams, whatever we call it, I was living another life without my body. I was not in my head thinking, oh, let me get better. You know, we can say it, it was all dreams and we know logically that it was, but I'm here to tell you that while you know, I can't tell you every dream that I had for the two months. I, I I do remember every single one. And I looked for my family. I 
had like had jobs in my mind. And I know it sounds kind of absurd because you're like, well, you're just dreaming. But I wasn't. I, I was living in an alternative manner without my body. I eventually made friends. I don't want I don't want anybody to think, you know, during beauties I, you know, my eyes are red, but uh, it's only because of the medical things. <laughs> but you know, who are these friends that I made? You know, I don't know, but I know that these friends drove me to what I guess was the finish line after two months. And they told me I was supposed to get out of the car and walk. And that's one of the last things that I remember as a dream. Because I was being brought back to this world. I was being brought back into my body. And my friends were saying, you need to go this way. And I said, come on, come on. And they said, no, we need to stay here. And that new job that I spoke of, that I created, that new career I created was as a police officer. And I was driving my black Cadillac around because that's what police officers drive, right? When again, these are dreams. But uh, I just remember this dream where I was driving on a road that was near my grandma's house and my grandma raised me in North Carolina. And my very last dream was driving on that road in North Carolina and speaking on my radio and saying, end of watch. And I promise you, I woke up shortly thereafter. <laughs> um, they were allowing me to wake up from the coma by backing the medication off. And then my next memories were just waking up and Donald kissing all over my face and he's telling me I'm sorry because he, he still carries guilt from this because it was an accident between us. And he was telling me that he is sorry and that he's so proud of me that I made it and that I fought so hard. And he was just kissing my face just all over. And I couldn't open my eyes but yeah, I thought I was blind, actually. Um, but my eyes were actually sutured together because they didn't close all the way. And they needed to keep the moisture in my in the eye. Um, so my eyes were sutured. I thought I was blind, but I just remember as he kissed me. Um, I just don't know how y'all. That the thing about those kisses is that they didn't feel right. I knew that I looked in the mirror right before the paramedics came. You remember last week I said, for some reason I ran, I looked in a mirror at my face and I thought it was just a little bit red and my face was okay. But as each one of those little kisses hit my face, each one landed, you know, I thought, the skin of my face didn't feel 
like the skin of my face. It felt like if I'd been able to, my arms couldn't reach my face at the time, but it felt like the kind of like the nape of the dog's neck that you could pull it away from the face. And for a while, I kind of could, you notice now it's part of my face, but it felt like I was wearing a mask and I was concerned by it. But it was also so joyous because I finally found that family and that's what every dream was. And there they were. So I was joyous and I didn't want to mess that up. And you know, the memory started to rush back to me and I realized where I was. And my nurse named, <laughs> I always say this, my nurse who was named January told me that I had been asleep from December to February. <laughs> So I'll never forget her name. And then my daughter bent over and she gave me a hug. And it hurt, but it hurt just so wonderfully. And um, Miriam, just a wait, Miriam, I'm feeling okay. I'm, I've got a, uh, I'm not sick. <laughs> it's a nose piercing issue in this red eye. I'm not sick. But my my daughter, uh, came in and she just said, whispered in my ear, like it was just between me and her, like, mom, you're the strongest person I know. And it kind of hurts my heart a little because my first husband had passed away in that hospital a few years before of cardiac arrest. And it hurt me so much because my kids were so young. My daughter was 17. My son was 18 when it happened. And, you know, then my son was there and and I wanted him, you know, or I know my son was going through something or somewhere. He wasn't there yet, but I was able to express that I wanted him there. And I just kind of stayed in that moment. I stayed in that moment of joy, even though things weren't all okay. And I was worried about my face. I stayed there for a while until the doctor came in and he said, oh, well, you know, the sutures are still in. And he pulled them out and took out his tweezers and uh, plucked them out in the eyes. And I have never, I, well, I, I don't know. I was super thankful. Is what I can say. And um, I opened my eyes to Grady Memorial Hospital. And the doctor, Walter Ingram, may he rest in peace and power. And Dr. Ingram just passed away a few months ago. But we all just sat for a while. I guess they sat while I laid. And as the medicine just wore thinner and thinner, it allowed me back into reality, back into my body. You know, my soul, it felt like my soul is going back into my body. And I could feel the pain suddenly, even with all the medicine. But it was a quiet and a happy evening. And they asked if I wanted to see my face and I said, no. It would end up being about three months before I actually looked at my face.
I was joyous. I was happy to be alive. I knew my face was a problem that I would not be joyous about. And I just, that was the way I dealt with it. I didn't want to look. And I know there are some, there are some hospitals that might make you look and you might be tempted to make someone look, but don't. They'll look in their own time. Because it's a situation where it's not the anticipation that's killing you. It's not that you're going to look and be relieved because it's better. You know, when I looked, it was about a hundred times worse. You know, and, um, but as we lay there that night, um, you know what I laid and wondered? Am I dreaming? So that's it for this week's episode of Burned Ambition. Layer cake, am I dreaming? I see your messages and I will answer them independently. For everyone who's watching and giving me blessings, I love you all so much. Cousin Ozzy, I love the Black Cadillac too. Miriam, I do feel okay. I just have an injury. And um, Grant, Amanda, if you will check my Burn Beauty 2018 page, there's a full explanation of what happened to me. Um, Daruba, right now, the way I'm feeling, four years out, I still have a lot of pain. Um, and I've actually had to resort back to using my cane. And, um, you know, I had to resort back to using my cane. And that's okay because it's going to help me build up my core. It just has to do with weight and the way your skin grabs pull on your muscles. It can pull you off balance. But um, the way I feel emotionally is um, very, very strong and very much in my purpose. And I have more days that are happy than are not. There's still PTSD. I don't, I don't think, I think there will always be PTSD. Um, when the day though, there are more times that are happy than that are not, than, than that are unhappy. And I feel like Everything that happened to me in my whole life led me right here because I love to tell my story because my story will eventually become someone else's survival guide. So will yours if you have one. So thank you all for watching. You can watch um, on demand on my Facebook page at Thern Beauty 2018 or on my YouTube at Thern Beauty 2018. No, at Thern Ambition. I'm sorry. I got a lot going on. You you can watch this on at Thern Ambition on YouTube. Um, please subscribe if you go there. I'm building that page. And you can easily watch it on Facebook. We're going to continue the story next week. And we're going to do less about dreams and more about technical things. So next week will be trigger warning. And 
sensitive content, we're going to talk about how you're actually, how, how you actually recover physically in the hospital, how it begins. So I love you all so much for watching. Please subscribe. Please know that you can watch on demand on Facebook, YouTube, and that you can listen as a podcast on any listening platform that you prefer. Burned Ambition is there if you look it up. Whatever you're going through, please remember that this too shall pass. Love you. Bye.